0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and welcome to another edition. We'll do this first. We'll get the business out of the way. I just want to let everybody know that uh, we are still looking for folks to help out uh, with donations and stuff like that. I normally don't hit y'all right at the beginning with this, but probably better to get it all out of the way. We are currently... uh, set up at patreon something called buy me a cup of coffee and last but not least paypal uh you're welcome to go over there and uh drop a donation in the kitty over at the website we're currently setting up a member area so that our patreons will have access to extra stuff the episodes that you hear here in different formats we're considering a aug Uh, possibly possibly wave even though it's very bulky uh, but sounds better and uh, other audio formats to do the shows we also have uh, not necessarily outtakes we do have some old random audio from the initial run of resonant frequency the amateur radio podcast we'll be getting uh, those set up in the patreon area We are also uh, currently, well, I don't remember which episode we started doing it, but uh, Richard's Radio Adventures and Resident Frequency, when it starts back up, you will be able to get uh, uncut and cut versions of the episode uh, with music, without music, all that good stuff. And we may quite possibly even do extra stuff uh, show-wise that will only be released to the Patreon. So those of, us, those of you who want to go over and sign up, we currently don't have a uh, lot of benefits for the membership level or uh, patron level. But uh, we are working diligently to get that going. And even the lowest, I believe the lowest one right now is $10. It might be $5. I really didn't check before we started. In the case of Cup of Coffee, that gives you the opportunity to uh drop a donation. Uh, you know, drop something in the kitty. In the case of Patreon, you can set that up reoccurring. In the case of Cup of Coffee, I haven't figured out how you might be able to set that up reoccurring. But you can drop a donation in over there, and there is some activity where that page is concerned also as far as postings that don't end up on the website and other kinds of stuff. And last but not least, we have PayPal. PayPal is the way it's always been. You can set up a recurring donation, or you can set up a one-time donation. Either way. But all three of these ways help out. Uh, you can find uh, links to them on the website, on the Facebook page and group. I don't think I have them set up where you can find them on some of the other social networks. But we also have a Discord server where y'all can come and hang out. And we can even chat uh, occasionally. That kind of stuff. Which is, uh, there's going to be a Patreon Section over there as well, so that uh, all the patrons can come in and hang out and do their thing and all that good stuff. So, we really got things going at the website, and I hope y'all will take the time to help out the show, help us upgrade our equipment. We are basically rebuilding the studio around here, and in the process, we're uh, gearing up for doing more videos. Quite honestly, I mean. We can't put our hands on a, a cheap microphone for less than 50 bucks. We can't uh get a green screen in here for less than about that same amount and that kind of stuff. So, you know, y'all take the time. Oh, uh, what else? There was something else. Oh, BridgeCom. We have also signed a deal to come on as an affiliate for BridgeCom Systems. Those of you who are into DMR, y'all probably know who BridgeCom is. I have two DMR radios myself, one is a TYT UV uh, 380, and the other one's an AnyTone 878. And I will tell you right now, that TYT radio is a piece of junk. Had nothing but problems with it since I got it. I understand the single band ones are better, but, uh, you know... You work with what you got unless you want to buy one, figure out you don't can't use it, and then buy another one and let that one you can't use sit in a box. So uh, y'all can go over there. We will have uh, some type of banner or uh, something over in the sidebar where you can click through to them. This is going to work similarly to the Amazon thing. Go over to the website, click through. If you decide to purchase something, we get a little piece of that, uh, that purchase. To put towards upgrading and improving the station here at, well, the station is RF Podcast. Richard's Radio Adventures are just a side thing. So now we've done all that, nearly 10 minutes promoting, uh, trying to get some money. And the other thing is, you know, uh, Norman and I were sitting around talking the other day, and he and I were discussing that we find that one of, at least one of the most popular shows out there. Uh, every time we go listen to it, it's a couple guys sitting around with a net running on HF radio in the background, and they're talking about very, very simplistic stuff like, uh, "What antenna do you think I ought to buy to uh, get on HF?" You know, sitting around chatting's all fine and good. This, is, these have never been that kind of show. That's the reason I helped create uh, Linux and Hamshack is so we could have that kind of interplay. And sadly, for the most part, uh, well, I'm not even going to go there. So, this show is about, uh, well, this one in particular is about Richard's opinion most of the time. I mean, even though we've diverged off into a small educational series, we may keep that up, though. And resonant frequency is about bringing information that ham radio operators can use in a, uh, a semi-teaching format and that kind of stuff. So, y'all stick with us. We've still got great things coming. We, um, I understand that uh, some of y'all, uh, long-time listeners, we kind of left y'all hanging about ten years ago. Unfortunately, life gets in the way and things got really bad. But we're back and we are still planning to bring the show back, the other show. And who knows, we may even add some more stuff. I was in talks with a guy a few months ago about doing a... Uh, uh, separate, possibly digital voice show thing. (laughs) Let's put it this way. It'd cover DMR, Fusion, D-Star, that kind of stuff, and some of the pitfalls and some techniques and stuff you can use to kind of avoid that. Alrighty, so what do we have left? Uh, this time we're going to talk about propagation again, and I'm going to have to get my stuff up so I can see it, and then we're going to get on it. Okay, this time we're going to do, this is our little fourth installment in the basic propagation primer series kind of thing, and this is number four. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a minute about above, 50 megahertz and above, well, kind of. And what I'm getting at here is is that there are some things that y'all might not be familiar with, may never have experienced, and they are viable ways to reach out and touch someone with six meters, two meters, sometimes even 70 centimeters. And I got to thinking about it the other day, the things that probably you'll experience first that you may not know what are going on, is sporadic tropospheric ducting uh, and meteor scatter. Now, we're going to throw transequatorial in there as well, simply because that's a golly gee whiz thing, and you may someday experience it or run into it, and if Somebody hadn't told you, you won't know to hop on it and log those contacts. So let's start with sporadic key. Now, VHF and UHF, they kind of, there's a gray area down around 50 megahertz, because 50 megahertz, six meter band is technically VHF. However, it has characteristics of HF, and it also has characteristics of uh, two meters. And one of the things we find happening down there a lot is called sporadic E. Now, sporadic E is a little bit different than regular E E, uh, layer propagation. You know, you can work HF stations all night long, all year long for the most part, uh, unless, of course, there's a lot of solar activity on 40, 75 meters even on 20 meters to some extent but once you get further up the e-layer tends to factor in less um i know most of you new operators your biggest experience is you get a handheld or something and you live in a populated area and you get on the the local repeater whatever one's the most active and even the guys further out, they do their best to try and stretch out their ability to talk on VHF, UHF, but there's not a whole lot of exploration in those ways. So in the case of sporadic E, sometimes a year and picking out the season is a little difficult, but some occasionally there will be hot clouds of ironization in the atmosphere. Let's back up. We live under a sea of air. We live at the bottom of an ocean of air, which, um, you know, okay, you're sitting in your house, and AC AC's not running fans off, and you think that air is still, but it's always in motion, and not just in your house, but out in your yard, across the country you live in, even around the world. It's always moving. And like any other fluid, which is the way best way to look at it, like any other l- fluid, you have currents and eddies and uh, denser areas and areas that aren't so dense. And our atmosphere is kind of like that. Now, understandably, technically, the E-layer is in the ionosphere. It's pretty close to the troposphere, which is the, is where we live. So, uh, you have this E-layer. And, like I said, it works really good way down on HF. And as you get higher and higher in frequency, it becomes less a part of your propagation. Well, then comes sporadic E. So sporadic E comes through, and it has to do with heavily ionized patches of the E-layer. Now, a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, there's a lot of papers and stuff out there on this stuff, but there's still a lot of guesswork going on because... They really haven't pinned down a lot of this stuff. But due to E-layer propagation, you could talk several hundred miles or even a few thousand miles via E-layer propagation. As you go higher in frequency, the more difficult it is to use this particular propagation mode. You know, it's the same way on 10 meters. F-layer propagation really doesn't work on 75 meters. Same thing when you're talking about sporadic E. It's better as you go down in frequency, but when you get up higher, and it can affect even 10 meters, 6 meters, 2 meters, and it'd have to be really, really going for 70, 70 centimeters, but it has been known to happen. So what happens with that is the signal comes off of your antenna. It goes off into the atmosphere. It gets to that layer, that region we call the E layer of the ionosphere. And it finds one of these highly ionized patches. And I, I, I'm in the habit of saying reflection. It's technically refraction. Due to refraction off of this ionized layer, your signal is redirected and back down to the surface of the Earth. So what ends up happening is you have this long-distance contact very similar to something you'd have way down on HF and it can be quite beneficial. Now, sporadic E is exactly that. It's sporadic. It's not as predictable as other ionospheric uh, layers as far as what's going to be a good path for you to communicate and what's not. However, when it does show up, it will allow you to make some tremendous contact. I was looking at something here a while back about a guy that was using whisper to kind of keep an eye on what the propagation is for six meters and two meters and that kind of stuff and not only was he showing contacts three four hundred miles he was showing at least one that was two thousand miles away and even one that was uh, over in the u.s now this guy was on in tasmania on a Tasmania if you don't know is an island right off the southern coast of uh, Australia even though it's part of Australia. So this can be a very useful mode if you're able to work with it, track it, uh, whatever you might need to do. So we're not going to dwell on that too long we're we're really eating up time already today but Let's go ahead and move on to the next one, and uh, let me stop here and make the disclaimer that I understand that these particular episodes are not uh, super nuts and bolts, but they're not intended to be, because what we're doing right now is a basic primer on propagation for mostly the newer guys, and even those guys that have just upgraded to get more HF privileges and stuff, and that kind, and so... This is a basic primer. We may back go back and uh, look at these topics in a little more depth at some point. So next, let's talk about tropospheric ducting. Tropospheric ducting, as I said before, the uh, we live under an ocean of air, and it acts like a fluid. So we're talking about those denser, denser and less dense areas and that kind of stuff, you know, the, if it's snowing in Alaska and it's 100, degree, 100 degrees in Texas, that's a good indication that weather is not the same everywhere. In the troposphere, being where we live, pretty much, uh, in the troposphere, you will find from time to time that weather can cause a refraction of these radio frequencies and allow you to make really good contact. So, kind of what happens is, the signal comes off of your antenna, and temperature inversions, and y'all need to go look that up, Uh, we have a lot of, uh, temperature inversions are pretty common down here in Texas, and I'm sure they're common around the world, but we seem to get our fair share. So, you're talking about um, your signal going up, and in the case of tropospheric ducting, This temperature inversion can create what is basically a duct, like your air conditioning ducts in your car, in your house, that kind of stuff. And that signal can get trapped in that duct temporarily. And it will bounce back and forth inside of that until it finds a place where it can come out. Now, it's not unusual for, and I'm having to look at something to get these numbers for y'all, But it's not unusual for these signals to travel hundreds of miles, even thousands of miles, due to tropospheric ducting. You know, we were talking about sporadic E a while ago. I found, and I'm not sure if it was sporadic E or ducting, but I lived in the city of Mesquite, Texas at that time, which is a suburb of Dallas over on the east side, and... 50, 60, 70 miles away is a city called Athens, Texas. And from Mesquite to Athens, there is a highway. And I had a buddy at the time, uh, Mark, N50FN was his call sign then. He, I can't remember what it is now. He reached, he and I recently reconnected not too long ago. But one night, we were, really didn't have anything to do. I had gotten off work working security. He had finished doing whatever it was he was doing and we were sitting around my parents' house having having uh, uh, a drink or two, and we decided we were going to see how far away I could talk to him on two meters, simplex, okie doke. So he hops in his car, and he goes down, he hits the road, and he's heading down the road to Athens. On two meters simplex, 50, 60, 70 miles away, when he turned around in Athens, we were still talking to each other, full quieting. He was in his car in a mobile, in a mobile, on a, on a mobile antenna with a 50 watt radio. I was at my father's house on a 50 watt, uh, mobile radio plugged into an antenna that was up, I guess, about 30 feet. Incredible. Uh, now that could have been E. It could have been ducting. Another incident is in that same city, Mesquite, Texas we had a repeater that was on 145.31 megahertz, And before repeaters actually had to be toned in this area because there were so many, uh, there weren't that many and there was plenty of room for more, that repeater had to have a tone. And the reason that repeater had to have a tone is because in a place called Clear Lake, which is a suburb of Houston, Texas, and y'all can go look up the mileage, every time we had a little bit of atmospheric activity or possibly sporadic E, it happened so much, I'm really not sure what the mechanism was, but every time there was a little bit of that going on, the repeater in Houston would drown out the repeater up here. So, these are the kind of things y'all, I hope y'all are looking forward to, but back to what we were talking about. So, the signal actually gets trapped in this duct, in this temperature inversion. It's just an area in the inversion where the signal can't get out, and it can travel for long, long distances, and you need to keep your eyes out for that. Uh, Actually, I need to hang on to the graphic I'm looking at here. Next, we've got something that is really going to mess with y'all's mind. And I keep bringing these things to y'all, and I will tell you, there are no de- definitive answers on why this stuff acts the way it does. Uh, I have tried to find something that is definitive, and everywhere I go, it's like, well, we're not sure. So, we have trans-equatorial uh, propagation. And we are talking mostly about VHF, UHF at the moment, where... 10 meters and down for the most part. They have other mechanisms involved as well. Actually, I could swear I've gotten, I have worked E-scatter or uh, backscatter on VHF, but transequatorial. So transequatorial is pretty much what it sounds like. You're in a spot, there's a station, the same distance from the equator on, in the case of the U.S., in the southern hemisphere and you and that station are able to work each other. Yet yeah, sounds odd. And this is one of the more esoteric, mystical kind of things where VHF and UHF are concerned, but understand it does happen. And it normally is, like I said, uh, your, your area, longitude and do south of there, longitude on, Same longitude on the other side of the equator, and you're working these stations. And all of this stuff I'm talking about right now really doesn't take super high-powered hot-rod DXing stations, okay? And you're able to make contact with these folks. Uh, I would advise you to go look a lot of this stuff up because, for the most part, you need to really know what your propagation modes are and stuff like that mostly because part amateur radio is learning about radio, so you can do radio better. And if you do radio better, you enjoy it a whole lot more. So, this sounds a lot like a ramble, and I'm sorry about that, kids. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time to get it set up. So, uh, last but not least, before we go, I want to talk about Meteor Scatter. This is another one of those things that it's predictable, sort of, and it's exceptionally usable, but you kind of need to know what you're doing. And believe it or not, you do not have to have a high-powered beam with a, a fast rotator or whatever on it. It's not like chasing a satellite. Now, twice a year, for sure I know, and I'm sure we have more, we have the uh, Leonids and the Perseids uh, meteor shower. And I'm not going to go through all that mess. The point is we got rocks falling from the sky, rocks, specks of dust, chunks of ice, that kind of stuff. Well, as with anything else, radio waves can reflect off of these. And in a reasonably heavy uh, meteor shower, you know, you can actually bounce signals off the ionized trail that these items leave as they move through the atmosphere and burn up because that does create a dense trail of ionization behind them, good for us, because the signals will bounce right off of them. And there's no telling where you may talk to, but they are, like I said, semi-predictable. I mean, you can't predict the density of these guys, really, for the most part, sometimes. They're gonna be more and less dense, but you can predict when they happen and this will give you an opportunity to uh, reach out and use some of that line of sight we were talking about. Because line of sight, that doesn't just mean you can see the repeater or you can see your buddy across the field. Moon bounce is line of sight. Meter scatter, line of sight. Uh, Anything like that is line of sight because you have to be where basically, and I hate to put it this way, it's so simple, but you have to be where your antenna can see those ionization trails coming off that debris, and the signal hit them and come back to somebody else's antenna. So it it is and it isn't line of sight. But either way, this gets us all back into that refraction-reflection argument. So, I want y'all to go out and read up on these particular uh, variations and please understand because some people, like I said, they get on two meters and that's all they ever do is talk to a repeater or talk to their friends on Simplex if they get energetic. Uh, The guys on sideband uh, two meter sideband, six meter sideband, they make fantastic uh, contacts. Y'all really need to check into that. And once again, we've gone a little long. But go out and check these modes out. And with that i'm gonna try and have y'all something better if i have more time to study because a lot of this stuff i have known and do know i guess is still in my head somewhere but it's been a long time since i've accessed. so go out there preach the good news of amateur radio make sure you spend time with your family and we hope to see y'all in a couple weeks seven three everybody We gotta go.